Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Lisa Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. John chapter 19, as we continue our study through the Gospel of John, I'm going to be reading verse 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. I've underlined this. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for the family that gathers every week. As we're reminded in Scripture to declare the Lord's death until he returns. And so with the reading of this Scripture, I pray that we fulfill it and we choose to live it. Thank you once again for this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have your seat. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. If you've got your Bible, you want to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12, uh, as well as Luke, chapter 23, and Romans, chapter 6. Once again, let me give you three areas of Scripture today. John's Gospel, chapter 12, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and Romans, Romans, chapter 6, chapter 6. They crucified him. And I know we're getting ready for Christmas, and probably not the greatest time to talk about the resurrection. That's an Easter message. But Paul reminds us that we're to declare the Lord's death until he returns. They crucified him. They crucified him. How often have we heard that term, in fact, for 2,000 years, and I pray that it would not grow contempt in our heart. They crucified him. And it was at this moment, Luke tells us, the whole land, the whole earth went dark for three hours. God, in some supernatural way, he covered the shine of the sun so that the whole world went dark. This was a supernatural act. It was a reminder of how God darkened the land of Egypt in the ninth plague so that everybody would know this darkness. It was an act of God. This impossible in the middle of the day became a possible with God. Because Jesus had already declared in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, that all things are possible with God. And it was in the course of that three hours, towards the end, that Jesus would say something so profound. It is finished. Spiritually, this had a connotation that nobody could see. He was saying, Scripture is fulfilled. I have fulfilled all over 400 prophecies written about me in the Old Testament. Scripture is fulfilled. 
the sacrifice. No longer would the high priest put his hand on a scapegoat and send it out to its death in the wilderness with the sins of the people transferred on this scapegoat. Now Jesus, he would be the final sacrifice. He would satisfy the judgment and the justice of God and Satan himself would be defeated with this act on the cross. Spiritually, no one saw this. But it was what he said, it is finished. Physically, let me tell you what they saw. Let me explain what they experienced. The gospels say the earth shook with a violent earthquake, so much so that the rocks split. The word of God also tells us that the veil of the temple in the Holy of Holies, it was torn from top to bottom as if God himself grabbed the curtain and he ripped it himself no longer would there be a separation between God and man because of Jesus Christ. And when the Roman soldier saw this physical thing happening, though he had no idea what was happening in a spiritual world, he looked at Jesus, he who he then pierced his side, and he said, with this darkness, with this quaking earth, with this rock-splitting moment, truly, this is the Son of God. He witnessed the magnificent display of the power of God. No wonder Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the title of our message. The power of the cross. If you're taking note, I want you to write down, number one, the power of its attraction. The power of its attraction. I find it amazing when I'm on the 405 for four or five hours that as I am driving down the 405 and I am stuck in traffic, that the accident is not even on my side of the highway. It's on the other side of the highway. And the reason why I get stuck on the 405 for 405 hours in the middle of traffic is because everybody wants to look at the accidents. Rubberneckers. We all want to look. We all want to see. What do you want to see? Do you want to see the gruesome sight of an accident? Do you want to see the car burning? What is it that you are slowing down for that keeps me stuck on the 405 so long? Just keep driving. No, there's something about it, like metal to magnet, that we've got to stop and slow down and take a look, no matter what it is that we may see. Jesus, if you're turning your Bible to John chapter 12, I need you to hear what he says. John chapter 12, verse 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I will attract people to look at me. This pitiful, gruesome sight of the cross. It will cause people to look. The Bible says that he was marred beyond the visage of a man. You couldn't even recognize humanity when you saw him on the cross. And is this picture 
not a depiction of how drastic God deals with our sin. Is this visage where he was marred beyond even the physical appearance of a man, is it not the depiction of the drastic way that God hates sin? Listen to this. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him to depict the picture of sin. No wonder he looked like he looked. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's why the high priest once a year would take this animal and he would offer this animal unto the Lord as an atonement for the sins of the people. And now we see Jesus, the Lamb of God. But Jesus Christ, he would also display the depravity of man. Let me explain. Who was kinder? Who was more of a gentle soul? Who was more loving than to Make the blind to see and the lame to walk, to feed the 5,000. Why would you look at such a man and crucify him? Why would you look at someone so kind, so loving, and so gentle? What is in your heart so much so that you could look at such perfection and shout, crucify him? Does not the cross reveal the depth of the depravity of man's human heart exposed? That you could crucify the perfect Lord. Because of that depravity, people feel this. And people are desperately looking to be delivered from this depths of despair. And so Jesus says, when I'm on the cross, even though I have this visual, people are going to want to look because of what's happening in the depths of their heart. It looks no different than the tragedy of an accident on the side of the road is what's going on in their heart. And that's why they want to look. They want to see someone that has paid the price for them. The power of the cross it's in the power of attraction. It attracts people to himself. Secondly, I want you to write it down. The power of its provision. The power of its provision. It's Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Take a look at it on the screen. Romans 5 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Adam, him and I are going to have some conversation when I get to heaven. God gave you a garden. He gave you a beautiful woman. So much so when you saw her, you went, whoa, man. And she got her name, woman. Some of you took a little while longer than the others. It's all right. It's all right. What were you thinking? Why did you eat when he told you not to? What were you doing, Adam? Because of your sin, you brought death into the world. You made the enemy powerful. I can't believe, Adam. What were you thinking? And by one man, sin entered the world. 
And what Paul is telling us in Romans, well, if by one man sin entered the world, then by one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, we know that righteousness and life can be brought to people because of his sacrifice on the powerful cross. No wonder Jesus would tell Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, whoever would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. The provision of love done by his love is the basis of attraction. How can you look at the cross and not see someone who died in your place and not choose to do anything in the world for them? If you take a look with me, I ask you to keep your Bible, uh, your Bible finger in your Bible in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Let's see the power of its provision in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke's Gospel 23, I'm going to start reading in verse 40. Speaking of the two criminals that were crucified, one on his left and one on his right. But the other, speaking of one of the criminals, rebuked him, that's the other criminal, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, this is Jesus now speaking to the criminal on the cross while he himself is on the cross. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. If there's ever the ABCs of the gospel, we find it in the simplicity of this man's conversion. A, he admits he's a sinner. I'm dying justly, he says. B, he believes in Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong, and truly he had it. Pilate said, there's nothing wrong with him. Herod said, he's done nothing. The Sanhedrin could not find a thing wrong with him. And he says, I believe in this man. I believe in Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. See, he confesses. He confesses in prayer. And he says to Jesus, is not talking to Jesus' prayer, remember me. Look at the simplicity of our faith. Now, I got a question. How did he get to this place? Because I need you to see something. It's going to be on the screen. It's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. Take a look with me. Matthew 27, 44. And the robbers, plural, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Wait a second. Do you mean that the robbers were spitting on him? Do you mean that the robbers were mocking him? Do you mean that the robbers were, uh, were also ridiculing him? That both of them? What happened to this man? Well, I believe he was attracted to the gospel. And I believe as Jesus was lifted up, he saw the provision of God's love in action. He saw Jesus being led like a lamb to the slaughter. The two criminals, they were fighting. They didn't want to be crucified. 
They had to be led to that cross. But Jesus, this criminal, saw him just lay down his life. They saw him just take the nails in his hands and in his feet. They watched him just lay down on the piece of wood with no argument, with no curse, and with no fight. This was unheard of when someone was being crucified. They did everything in a last-minute desperate attempt to be freed from crucifixion, but not Jesus. The, the, the criminal just saw him lie down after he was crucified. He was lifted up, and the criminal watches him look at the Roman soldiers and look at the Jews that are mocking him and say out loud, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. All the while, both criminals are spitting on him. All the while, both criminals are ridiculing him. But something's happening in one of the criminals' heart as he watched Jesus look at his mother and tenderly care for his mother in the midst of his own agony. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your woman. Behold your mother. Something happened in that criminal's heart. As Jesus was lifted up, he was attracted to this, this love that's being personified. The, the provision of God's love being personified, it began to change his perspective. And no longer was he reviling. No, now he's requesting and he says of Jesus, I believe. Remember me. The Lord responded as he would respond to each one of us that would say that sinner's prayer. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, is there not a more beautiful sinner's prayer? So many people have come to me and say, well, you, you, you've led people in this sinner's prayer, and I don't see a sinner's prayer in the Bible. I do. All we got to say is, remember me. Just remember me. If I choose to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, look at the simplicity of our faith. It's the power of the provision on the cross that has made our faith so simple that we can be saved, that Jesus paid our price. He's made it simple because he's our Savior. Our sins can be forgiven no matter what we have done. And the problem with the world is the enemies lied to them and told them they can't be forgiven. And the problem with the church is that we believe the lies of condemnation. When there's no sin that either one of us can do that would go above or go below, or go around the great mercy of God. Listen to what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. There's no provision, even looking at the woman at the well. We discussed her at Upstream. Listen, he looked at the woman at the well who was, had, had five adulterous relationships and is living with someone who was not even her own husband, and he led her to paradise. For 2,000 years, millions of people have been saved because of the power of the provision of the cross and the display of God's love. Thirdly, I want you to take note the power of its proclamation. The power of its proclamation. That's the power of the cross. The power of its proclamation. 
exclamation. Take a look. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is the victory. Now, I'm going to say our faith is the, you say victory. Our faith is the victory. I was hoping for more of like a George Wallace kind of like, you know, I do this and you do that. Um, but we'll keep going. Our faith is the victory. Our faith is the victory. Colossians, Paul writes, he says, listen, let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he was making a laughing stock of all of hell. Because Satan's greatest weapon, death. Satan's greatest weapon, death, was taken from him. It was taken from him. Paul would pronounce, oh death, where is your sting? And I got a question. Why would you want to give the devil back his sting? That would be like giving a bee back his stinger. No, I'm going to take it from you and I'm just going to put it back. Why would you ever want to be stung by a bee? Why would you ever want to put the sting of the enemy back inside his repertoire of tools when Jesus took it away from him when all you have to do is believe? Why would you gamble eternity? Why would you move away from a God who loves you and give the enemy back his stinger? Because I've got some news. Either Christ dies for you or you die for yourself because the penalty's got to be paid. Either Christ dies for you and pays the penalty and we only walk through the shadow of death and experience eternity or you die for yourself in the second death. One of the two will be true. The price must be paid and Jesus displays the power of God on the cross. He displays the wisdom of God on the cross. The wisdom of God? There was no way for man to get to heaven. We couldn't live the life. We couldn't live, we, we, we couldn't do it. We couldn't live up to the law or the standard of God. And so the wisdom of God, he knew he could. And in the wisdom of God, as Paul describes, he came to earth and he lived the life that we couldn't live and then he paid the price for us. The price we couldn't pay. That's the power of the cross. That's why Paul says, proclaim the Lord's death. It's the power of the message of the gospel. It's why he said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. And it's why Jesus, it's why Jesus on the Via Dolorosa, he looked at the women that were crying. And as he looked at those women, this is what he said. Don't weep for me. He said, weep for yourselves. Don't weep for me. Jesus, he had a different perspective. Jesus is looking at the women. He says, don't weep for me. Let me let you know something. This is leading to your victory. Don't weep for me. I'm doing this for you. I know where this is going to head. Don't weep for me. This is leading to my reward. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't weep for me. I'm marching on my way to reward. This would be the athlete looking at his mom saying, I'm about to win. Don't mourn for me. Be happy. But then he said, weep for yourselves. Now listen to that. Because there's direction there. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary, but not the son of Joseph, he would write in James chapter 4, weep, mourn, and wail over your sin. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Listen to the plea of James that comes from the passion of Jesus to provide us victory for eternal life. Jesus is passionate about giving us eternal life. And he looks at the women and he says, weep for yourselves. You need to be repentant. You need to come to the place where this is not a place of emotion. This is a decision that you need to make. A decision where you choose to repent. It's so easy, isn't it? To hear the incredible music. To lift our hands and even sway. Sometimes to be caught up in it. To where tears flow. And Jesus says, don't weep for me. Go out and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The emotion of worship is wonderful. But the exhortation of Jesus is repent. The exhortation of the scripture is to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so hear the passionate plea of Jesus I want you to have eternal life, he says to these women. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Come to the place where you repent. But not just weep for yourselves in regards to eternal life. Now abundant life. Turn with me finally to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 as we continue to hear this passionate plea of Jesus. In Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, I'm going to be reading verse 6. Romans chapter 6, listen to this passionate plea. We know, verse 6, Romans 6 verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The power of the proclamation of the victory of the cross is not just for eternal life. The power of the proclamation of the victory of the cross is for abundant life. And let me tell you what Paul's trying to get across in this Christian life. How many of you have been tempted to sin? Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, how many of you were tempted to sin this morning? Raise your hand. How many of you were tempted to sin on the way to church? How many of you are being tempted right now? <laughs> Only three hands went up. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm not sinning right now. We have all something common to us in this world. And while we are here, all of us will be tempted to sin. Now, here's the difference. We're no longer slaves to sin. 
We no longer have to go the way that it directs us. We no longer have to jump in a raft. I don't know if you read the story, but just two days ago, a mom and her six-year-old son were on a big swan. And while they were on this big swan out in the deep blue ocean, they didn't realize, but the current caught them, the wind caught them, and they were miles out at sea before they knew it. The mother, she said, I just laid on the big swan and started to cry, thinking, we're going to die, but I can't tell my son. By the grace of God, somebody saw them. By the grace of God, someone said, I'm going to rescue them. And by the grace of God, someone sacrificed their life to go out into the deep blue and rescue mom and son on the swan. When she got home, they burned the swan. She said she'll never go on another swan again, and she will never go on a raft in the ocean again. The only raft she will use is in her pool where there are borders. You know why? She learned her lesson. I was saved. And now I know how to live. I've learned my lesson. I've been rescued. And now I know that I never want to go that way again. When I was in college, I had a roommate. And my roommate was a very interesting fellow. And he, well, he didn't live the life I lived. And probably three or four nights a week, I slept in my car. And I slept in my car because he'd put the sign on our dorm uh, wall, door. And the sign meant, don't come in here. My bed is in there. I want to sleep on my bed. So finally, I approached him and I said, listen, you've you got to stop doing this. I mean, you're not even with the same woman. It's like three and four nights. I mean, you've got, you've got to come to some conclusions here, brother. Like, you need a life. And she, he looked at me and he said this, are you kidding me? He goes, you need a life. You, you need help. I never see you with a woman. I never see you sleeping around. I never see you doing all these things that I'm doing. This is the life. One of these things is not like the other. But my eyes were open to something. He couldn't stop. He was just in the swan being cast out in the current. He didn't even realize he was a slave to unrighteousness. He didn't even realize that he was going the direction of the wind. I realized, wow, I'm not a slave to that any longer. I don't have to go that way. I don't have to do that. I think different. I act different. And I realize the power of the cross. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Though I may be tempted, I'm no longer to force that to go that way. I've been set free. And who the Son has set free, he is free indeed. Amen? Amen. Now, let me explain what this abundant life looks like. If you remember when I read in John chapter 19, Jesus was bearing his own cross. He told us what abundant life would look like. He said this, whoever of you want to follow me, pick up your cross daily, bear your own cross, and follow me. Let me explain what that means. 
that means that the power of the cross is attractable, then we need to be attractable so that people look at our lives, so they see the difference, so they recognize that one of these things is not like the other, so they see the peace and they see the love and they see the mercy and they go, what makes you different? But secondly, listen, we get to display his loving provision. We don't have to respond like the rest of the world. We don't have to fight and to argue. We don't have to be stuck on the 405 and get a bad attitude. We can simply rejoice. We can have joy that comes from within us instead of a situation around us. And we can express and display the loving provision. That's the power of the cross found in Jesus Christ. And as we pick up and we bear our cross... We can live the victorious life because of the power of the cross. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you that you're stuck in your sin. Don't allow yourself to listen to the lie that you can't change. The truth of scripture is this. The power of the cross broke the chains of death and you can be set free. Christian, listen to the word of God. It's the power of the cross. Thank you.